0: It was a bright yet cold Kansas City morning when a man slid his wrists and bled to death on the steps of the Federal Reserve Building. The winter of 2029 brought little snow to the city, but much overwhelming grief to the people. What was heralded as the dawn of an exciting technological age of ultra-convenience, efficiency, and progressive futurism in reality emerged as the first phase of Of astonishingly swift impoverishment and enslavement. Overly stimulated, mentally dulled people who previously had no interest in understanding the issues of the day, issues such as the national debt, dollar devaluation, centralization of banks, and the mirage of fiat or paper currency, now had blunt trauma issues that they couldn't avoid. They were now daily pummeled by the new realities of life. Realities with names like bankruptcy, soup kitchens, mandated rationing, omnipresent state surveillance, enforced social compliance, and above all, poverty. Once critical and emblematic pillars of American constitutional governance, the concept of the consent of the governed buttressed by unassailable rights such as the right to free speech, to bear arms to a speedy public trial, to be secure in one's possessions and person, gone. By the winter of 2029, these anchors of freedom, these limits on state power, had all been cut loose. Taken for granted for far too long, the state extinguished them with unexpected ease. Having immersed and self-anesthetized in their TikTok, social media, private online entertainment pseudo worlds, neither understanding nor caring about the issues that then threatened their comfortable lives, in their distracted apathy, they empowered the elites to consolidate total control over the nation. The death of cash came quickly and was followed by the birth of the monetary panopticon. The central bank digital dollar was accepted with the resignation expected of a propagandized, mentally listless population. Cash was evil, they were told. It was used for money laundering, for drugs, for dangerous and seditious activities, for avoiding paying one's patriotic tribute to the state. Cash was exterminated in favor of a responsible and, if you were a law abider, Convenient and efficient digital currency. If you have nothing to hide and are doing the right thing, they were told, a fully digital monetary system is exciting and convenient. It simply modernizes the antiquated system of American money, aligning it with the latest state of technology, enabling comprehensive law enforcement and public safety. True, there was a degree of convenience, Everyone now had an account with the Federal Reserve, administered by the big three remaining banks, affectionately called the Troika. What they didn't realize was that they now also had an account with the FBI, the DEA, the IRS, the Department of Homeland Security, and a myriad additional federal agencies, all rolled into one very, very convenient account. Convenient for the state. No longer was anyone inconvenienced by archaic banker's hours. The Fed was open 24-7, 365 days a year, ever ready to process transactions. Ever ready to monitor any and all transactions made by the account holder. All citizens and all merchants were tethered into the unified federal network. Transacting in the digital currency, the digital dollar known as the eagle dollar. Convenient for the account holder, convenient for the state. The digital monetary sword cut both ways. Residents could make and clear transactions lightning fast from any of their devices, round the clock, and round the calendar. No banking hours, no banking holidays. Additionally, the state extolled the ease with which taxpayers could settle their tax responsibility. No longer burdened by seeking out a tax advisor annually to determine how to navigate the increasingly complex tax code, now one's entire financial data set was instantly available to and being analyzed by the state. As such, for citizens' convenience it unilaterally withdrew from your account. What it flawlessly determined was your unique and required tax contribution, quarterly. Further, and of great convenience, when confronted with anomalous public emergencies, such as one of the increasingly prevalent pandemics, natural disasters, destructive urban riots, or disruptions to the supply chain from the many emergent global conflicts, the AI-enabled IRS could instantly determine the citizen's responsible contribution and instantly make the withdrawal. It wasn't perfect, certainly. Any disputes were directed to an Eagle account helpline where frustrated taxpayers argued in vain with virtual caseworking avatars. Further, when such disputes were causing immediate financial hardship, the state, in its benevolence, offered Eagle Grace loans at reasonable interest rates until the dispute could be resolved. Data was not immediately available to the public, but anecdotally, one was hard-pressed to know someone not under Eagle Grace debt. It was a bright yet cold Kansas City morning when a man slit his wrists, dropped to his knees, and bled to death on the steps of the Federal Reserve Building. Residents Eagle Counts also quickly witnessed a number of additional oddities. Fines withdrawn for instances of motorist speeding, for entering a public building during any of the last several epidemics without the required face masks, for failing to vaccinate by posted deadlines, for posting what was deemed vulgar or offensive comments on social media, For producing more trash than one's weekly allocation. For exceeding one's carbon footprint allowance. How the latter was calculated was anyone's guess, and the subject of much vitriol and hushed, guarded debate. Financial infractions multiplied like hungry algae. Students at university giving professors a hard time, which is to say, in any way challenging their viewpoints, might find a stiff withdrawal in their already meager accounts. Likewise, parents expressing discontent at school board meetings or citizens at local town hall meetings. Attend an unsanctioned public event without the required permissions? Caught in a city or state or park without first receiving the required access permissions? Find. Express an unpopular sentiment within your home in the hearing of the numerous and ubiquitous devices all very convenient devices, all ever listening for your commands and for your opinions and conversations. Find. Caught burning a small wood fire to try to stay warm? Find. Caught jaywalking in a city? Find. Driving more than your allocated mileage? Find. Always more rules, more restrictions, more codes, more ordinances. Further, limiting one's monetary activity to but one state-controlled, hyper-efficient ego network brought additional changes. Transaction denials became commonplace. Acquiescing apologists extolled the virtues of addicts and drunkards being blocked from purchasing their vices. Domestic enemies of the state could be isolated geographically as attempts to obtain travel permissions and tickets would be denied. Profound gains in climate care and responsible human health were suddenly in reach as purchases of toxic products could be restricted. The list of toxic ration products exploded like a virus in weak flesh. Tobacco, alcohol, meat, coffee, sugar... The state, with its burgeoning army of experts, knew what was best for its people and had a sacred responsibility to aggressively protect them from themselves. Fertilizer, gasoline, kerosene, propane, butane, the state knew that her people would not volitionally curb their consumption of historically mal-consumed, earth-antagonistic substances. But now she had the means of enforcing responsible, earth-aligned, state-safe compliance at the point of intended sale. Further still, the bane of domestically dangerous special interest groups could be neutralized. Groups unfavorable and disruptive to the state were now simply isolated from the digital monetary network. Legislating change had been too slow, too uncertain, Financial isolation was a far superior weapon. Almost overnight, historic and emergent thorns in the flesh of the state, such as the National Rifle Association, and grassroots fake media entities critical of the state withered into impotence. Firearms, ammunition, reloading supplies, compound bows, arrows, hunting knives, all such purchases denied. Their merchants pushed into oblivion faith-based groups could no longer challenge the ultimate authority of the state. Once iced from the rails of finance, churches and their denominations imploded as places of worship defaulted on their mortgages, and their clergy and staff went unpaid. Two years after the rollout of Universal Eagle Accounts in America, the state at long last committed to fiscal responsibility. The president acknowledged that it was high time that the nation now lived within its means. This meant, naturally, paying off the national debt. This epiphany of fiscal conscience, however, was not what the people had anticipated. As of January 2027, the Minister of Finance, a new unelected official in charge of the Treasury, the Federal Reserve, and the remaining troika, of central banks declared with grave solemnity that each citizen's portion of the debt averaged $658,000. And that while that number seemed daunting and yes, even terrifying, yet good honest moral people, patriots, did what was right not because it was convenient, not because it was easy, but because it was right. The minister went on to tell Americans to be courageous, to take heart, that her institutions were there to assist them in this greatest challenge of their generation, and that the ministry did not expect most of these patriotic debts to be paid within the citizen's lifetime, but that grace and patience were being extended to each family to distribute the debt over a number of generations. My ministry shares in the pain you feel, she announced. We feel you, and we are here to soften the coming patriotic burden in any way we can within the extent of the law and commensurate with any unseen crises that may emerge. Overnight, the back of America's middle class was forever shattered. Most citizens experienced an initial deduction of $20,000, to be followed by smaller monthly Patriot deductions. Those unable to pay were required to forfeit homes, property, vehicles, and any state-determined luxury items. Additionally, individual travel outside of the country was suspended until the citizens' portion of the national debt was paid off. Exemptions and special terms and conditions were applied, of course, at the discretion of the state. Riots broke out in the major cities from coast to coast. Federal buildings were set on fire, usually those without state protection, such as libraries and museums. However, within three weeks all rioting had been put down, and the new reality set in. It was a bright yet cold Kansas City morning, when Darius Thompson plunged the sharp blade perpendicular to the veins in his wrists, giving the all-powerful, all-seeing, all-demanding state the final sacrifice he could give on the steps of the Federal Reserve. Darius, 67-year-old Kansas City native, dropped to his knees. Tears streamed from swollen eyes, even as blood streamed from his wrists. An army of electric eyes impassionately watched him die. A networked universe of sensors identified him and recorded the details of his death. They recorded his final moments that a smile spread over his ashen face, that he turned and offered the outlawed Nakamoto salute to someone watching from a distance, who returned the salute. Darius whispered something before succumbing and doubling over. Within seconds, his equal account was frozen. The pathetic balance was routed to the appropriate state ledger to pay for cleaning up the mess he left behind. A number of protocols quickly activated to determine if Darius Thompson had any relatives that could be fined for the more than 30 infractions he committed in illegally ending his life on state property. It was a bright, cold Kansas City morning when Darius Thompson, Afghanistan veteran and declared enemy of the state, rendered a bloody middle phalange to the Fed. Watching the suicide from a distance, perched upon the steep lawn of the National World War I monument adjacent to Federal Reserve, James Smith seemed emotionless. He would appear emotionless, under the pseudo-skin membrane that he wore to avoid identification by the ubiquitous facial recognition sensors. Even now, the system, reading the pseudo-skin mask, was determining that a Maynard Roosevelt, and not James Smith, shouldn't be in downtown Kansas City at this time, and his account was being deducted the appropriate fine. Maynard was a lower-level government lackey of the Kansas City Federal Reserve who had been causing problems. He was getting too close to the rig, too close to the Satoshi cell. Of greater future concern for the real Maynard Roosevelt would be answering why the constellation of electric eyes had witnessed Darius Thompson, moments before his bloody collapse twist, directly face the distant figure watching him from afar, and render the three-fingered Nakamoto salute, which then transitioned into the middle-fingered salute to the state, and why Roosevelt had returned the seditious salute before slipping away. It would be a long 72 hours of interrogation for the real Maynard Roosevelt. Salute complete, James Smith hopped to his feet and retreated across the monument to a series of stone steps, his route took him through some trees and behind a row of dumpsters to a low basement access window in one of the World War I Museum's buildings. Nudging it open, he slipped into the darky utility room and pulled the pseudo-skin mask from his face, shut the dirty rust frame window, pulled open a metal hatch, and entered into the Kansas City's long-forgotten, unsurveilled tunnel labyrinth. The route had been short and, as importantly existed in a surveillance blind spot. By the time the city security network's AI had concluded that Darius' suicide, in connection with what it initially identified as Maynard Roosevelt, needed immediate investigation, James Smith was long gone. The system had confirmed within minutes, 2.4 minutes, in fact, that the real Maynard Roosevelt was north in the small town of Leavenworth, working from home. 40 micro-drones swarmed the World War One monument's grounds, seeking traces of the imposter, to no avail. It was a bright, cold, Kansas City morning.